This is Cinema Roundtable. My name is Stefan Decker, and I'm here with my usuals, Bo. Hello. And Haley. Hi. And we are going to talk about some of the movies that we've seen recently as we always do here on Cinema Roundtable, and we will close the episode with an in-depth discussion on our feature film, the movie Us. Uh, But to start, let us... um, You know what? I'm really curious about this one that Haley saw. Uh, Let's hear about this Hitler Bigfoot movie. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw a movie called The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot, and the only reason I knew about this movie was because my coworker Drake who you all know, yes. um, told me about it. And I was like, what kind of, what kind of title? What? And I saw the trailer and it looked so cool. So it stars Sam Elliott, who you might know him as the big brother from A Star is Born, <laughs> which oh, is yeah. the, what I knew him from. He, A movie you didn't quite like as much as this movie. But <laughs> right, yeah. That's an, another yeah. story. Sam Elliott looks legit just like my father-in-law. He does. I can confirm that because <laughs> I went to your wedding and I saw him. Sam Elliott just looks super cool in this movie. So it it's basically about a guy who, you guessed it, killed Hitler. <laughs> and then the FBI comes to him and is like, we need, we need another favor from you. <laughs> because there is a Bigfoot like roaming... Canada, like in this area, and this Bigfoot carries like the big plague that would like legitly kill everyone if they came into contact with this guy. Oh, and so they're like, You need to take him down, <laughs> and that is what the movie is about. It kind of goes like back and forth between like his memory of like killing Hitler <laughs> and uh, the task he's forced with now. And just kind of how he's been living since he killed Hitler. Okay. And it was, it was at, like, the concept of it was really cool because I was like, whoa, this movie is so unique. I've never heard of anything like this. Oh my gosh. And then you watch it and you're like, it's, it was just like, <laughs> not the beginning, I would say, was really good. And then the rest just like kind of fell apart. And it's like missing something big in it. Like, I don't know what it is. Mm hmm. But it was like they tried to fit in all of these elements in it, but it wasn't really working. And the Bigfoot was weird. Like he like he had, throws like, up feet on feet that him. were big for some reason. Yeah, I'm... like he just looked like ugh, he looked freaky first. Like he looked like an alien, which I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like maybe Bigfoot's an alien, sure. But it was just bizarrely laid out. Like, especially near the end. Mm-hmm. And then it ends and you're just like, okay. <laughs> so that it take it does take place between two different time periods. It's not like the FBI hired this dude to kill Hitler and then right away was like, okay, no, next yeah. mission. Yeah, like literally, like he was just in the army and that was the thing he was tax- tasked with was... Mm-hmm okay, you're going to go on this mission and kill Hitler, and he does. And so he doesn't actually, he actually served in World War II. He wasn't, yeah. he didn't go back in time through science no, fiction. No, no, there's no some weird, like, time thing. It's, like, this guy who, like, he did something huge that, like, no one knows about. Like, he kept it under wraps, and 
he's just like alone. Like you see him, he like lives by himself. He's lonely. He has like an old dog and that's it. And when the FBI comes to like hire him, the main guy was like, oh yeah, my dad served with you. He told me something interesting. Blah, blah, blah. I, don't, I don't know if it's true. And this was probably the best part of the movie was when Sam Elliott, his character, just kind of like looks that dude in the eye. He's like, what you heard is true, but I killed a man and I didn't want to do it, even if he had it coming to him. He went into like this speech about it. And I was like, that's actually really interesting. Hmm. Like the whole, like, what would it be like if you killed Hitler? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you still have the, all the trauma of being in a war and like having someone's life in your hands. And so I thought that was kind of cool how they like investigated that aspect of it. But then when they just when they brought in the actual Bigfoot and the hunt happens, it just gets really goofy and it's really hard to take seriously. That well, I I want to follow up on that. Does does the movie try to take itself seriously or is it meant to be a little bit of a good time because it is objectively a ridiculous premise? Yeah, like I thought it would be more of kind of a goofy good time but there was only a little bit of that but the with the bigfoot it was just too much like mm-hmm. it was just the thing i think like all the stuff with the hitler stuff i was like oh yeah this is interesting like this story makes sense blah blah, blah. and then the bigfoot part was just it was just like in shambles i was like what <laughs> this doesn't make any sense like what was the point of this it just felt in the end it just really felt pointless but maybe that was the point yeah. of the movie so okay i could have read it right i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i still would watch it though i mean like it's interesting it's different it's not a remake and hitler and bigfoot yeah i mean <laughs> it is certainly an original idea mm-hmm. i really like quirky indie comedy drama movies this seems kind of down my Lane, I I will probably check this out. Sounds cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Up next, let's hear about uh, this movie. If Beale Street could talk. Yeah. Uh, this is a movie that maybe it, it certainly got a little bit of attention during the Oscars, but it was um, I think it won Best Picture at the Independent Spirit Awards, and um, it's just like really huge movie, especially from. Barry Jenkins, who did Moonlight, which won Best Picture a few years back. So have you guys heard of this one? I have, yeah. I've been wanting to watch it. Yeah, so I saw this on Hulu. And uh, so this is the follow-up to Moonlight. And having seen Moonlight and really loving that movie, I had high expectations for Beale Street. And this movie is like a work of art. It is beautifully shot even from the first like five seconds i could tell i'm going to really like this movie it's just the camera is ever so carefully placed uh the actors are so convincing and believable and at at the heart of it all it's really a love story so it stars kiki lane as tish rivers and stefan james as alonzo hunt uh i think they are engaged tish becomes pregnant but Alonzo, who she affectionately calls Fonny, uh, becomes falsely imprisoned um, by a racist justice system. And so uh, it's about how they continue on their love. She thinks back to uh, their, their life that they've shared together. 
and how she deals with being pregnant while she can't see him for most of her life. Uh, and also about the people who love them too, their family members, and which ones uh, side with them and support them in their pregnancy, and which ones reject them and push them away and think that they have done an awful sin by becoming pregnant at this stage in their lives. Barry Jenkins is just, um, you know, he is a very awesome filmmaker. He's like, it's very exciting to see him because he's still relatively early in his career, you know, with this being. He's only had a handful of feature-length films. The score is amazing. Um, it is about not just love, but so many emotions. It's about fear and regret and grief. Uh, there's tons of awesome supporting cast members, too, like Regina King, who won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, she plays the mother of Kiki Lane's character. And then you have... Uh, Lots of people who appear maybe just for a scene or two, but they all do an incredible job. Like Brian Tyree Henry plays one of Fonny's friends who has just gotten out of prison and has also been falsely, uh, you know, accused and imprisoned. And uh, the movie jumps back in a flashback before Fonny's in prison. And they have a scene together where they reunite and they catch up. And he slowly reveals this horror of going to prison to his, his friend Fonny. And the way he does it is so organic and just uh, jaw-dropping, the way he reveals all these horrors without saying everything. You could just tell it how he's, how he's speaking just sort of generally about all this. He's revealing so much information. And then Dave Franco has a very small part, but... Oh. He's, you wouldn't expect him in this movie, and he has a very charming performance um, as someone who's willing to let this couple move into one of his flats that he's renting out. So the movie jumps in time to after Fonny goes to jail and before he goes to jail, and you see how their relationship blossomed. You see what it's like to be in a relationship with, with someone when you're pregnant and you can't spend any time with them. Um, and so at some points it does feel like uh, it is a little bit jumbled because we're jumping around so much, but there was no part that I didn't want to see. And it's um, very beautiful. I'm going to listen to the soundtrack again because it is, it's a memorable, beautiful soundtrack. And uh, I really recommend it. It's, I wouldn't say a lot of fun, but it's a great <laughs> piece of art. Okay. Um, watch it. Cool. Yeah, that sounds great. And you said that's available on Hulu at the moment? Yes. Yes. All right. And you call it a follow-up to um, Moonlight. Is that just in the sense that it's from the same... Just from the same director. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily connected to... Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. That it, sounds great. It does have... I mean, thematically, it just like Moonlight, it does jump between times in the same characters' lives. So you kind of see... Uh, what happens over a long period of time and you see you know in moonlight uh, our main character you see him as a child and then as i think a junior high schooler and mm -hmm. then an adult in this the time jumps aren't as severe but you are still seeing those pivotal different moments in time and how that event of going to prison is such a big turning point in these people's lives all right well, I also will probably check that out myself. 
Um, up next, I'm going to go ahead and knock this one out. Um, I saw the movie Stan and Ollie. So it, it stars John C. Riley and Steve Coogan. Uh, Steve Coogan, of course, you'll recognize as soon as you see him. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's about a comedy duo uh, named Stan and uh, Ollie, of course. Imagine that. Uh, and they're, they're uh, one of the classic like comedy duos in an era where like you're going to have, um, what's the guys that do who's on first, what's on second? Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello. Like yes. there's, there's a name drop of them in the movie too. Um, and most, a majority of this movie takes place after the peak of their career and they're trying to uh, become relevant again. Um, and all that comes with being friends versus having a professional working relationship and what that means um, when you have egos, when you have obligations, and when you have um, feelings of betrayal at times. Um, and it's it's about uh, just trying to reconcile all that while also trying to become relevant again uh, in the later stages of your life. Um, and I think the two play very well together. Uh, even John C. Riley, uh, I wish he would do a lot more dramas because I think he does very well. And even though this is uh, comedy as well, um, there's drama in it. And I think that's a good middle ground for John C. Riley. And I think he plays very well. Uh, he even wears um, prosthetics and, and sort of a, I don't know if it's a suit, but he wears a fat suit basically for most of the movie to, uh, to make himself even you know larger because he plays a very, very big man. Um, but I think it's very, it's a, a very good story of maintaining a working relationship while that personal relationship is not as strong as it once was. Um, and I think it shows the intricacies of those kinds of relationships very well. Uh, and I, I recommend it to, to most people. It's a very short um, movie compared to how most movies are today. So if uh, you don't end up liking it as much, you haven't invested as much time in it. Um, so it's a pretty pretty quick watch. I saw it in Redbox uh, is how I got a hold of it, and I was looking forward to it for a while. Um, and I was happy to have uh, to have seen it. In the red. In the red. John C. Riley is a very strong actor. I think he when, is. when he's uh, dramatic... When he is given that rare dramatic role, he really shines. I agree, and yeah. I, I wish that he would do more of them. Not, you know, that he is bad at those other roles that he has. That's just not mm -hmm. what I'm interested in. Yes, so he's one of those actors that you know when he does take on a serious role, he kind of just looks like an average guy. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows who he is, but he doesn't. You know, he's not a perfectly you know chiseled model man. You mm -hmm. know, and so he looks very believable in some of those roles. And he really looked the part for this movie when I just saw the previews and everything, you know, like he looks like he was plucked out of that time period, you know, and, and put into this movie, which really is extraordinary. Does. Well, and I think Steve Coogan does as well. Yeah. Uh, looks just out of that time period when they uh, gel his hair and comb it just right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good quick watch and uh, I recommend it to uh, just about anyone. It's just a fun 90-minute stroll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. 
All right. Up next, let's hear about uh, a documentary called Behind the Curve. Yes, Behind the Curve. I saw this on Netflix last night. Okay. Uh, this is um, also a short watch. It's just about 95 minutes or so. And this is relatively new. It's about people who are flat earthers, people who believe that the earth is not round and is in fact flat. And I, I kind of had heard that these people were around in today's day and age, but my strongest memory of hearing about this kind of thing was, you know, learning about, uh, was it Galileo and stuff in school Mm -hmm. and like, you know, people hundreds and hundreds of years ago who thought that the earth was flat and then being, um, proven wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, that sticks out in my mind. This introduces um, a whole new sort of subculture, sub-society of people who really stick together because there aren't many of them. And so they all know each other um, and they kind of work off of each other to help to try to recruit more people to this theory, uh, prove um, any any way that they can that that the earth is flat they subscribe to a lot of the facts that exclusively help their case and ignore all of the resounding evidence that proves them wrong and so that's part of what the documentary focuses on is how these people sort of pluck and pick and choose the things that they want to hear throughout the documentary you're thinking like okay when is it going to address like why these people do this and and the documentary does get there and that was one of the most fascinating things too because a lot of these people for most of their lives they've kind of been the outsiders in whatever groups they've been in they either they're outsiders or they don't feel like they've been able to connect with friends and family they they just kind of feel like the black sheep and so um subscribing to this flat earth idea is one thing that they kind of all have in common and a lot of them were round earth believers and then in trying to further prove that the earth is round somewhere along the way got convinced by this alternate fake evidence um i really like stories about like subcultures and things like that like i like juggling that's one of Mm. my hobbies and so there's a whole juggling community out there and i love that kind of thing you get a glimpse into that in this movie too and it also documents um, the first international flat earth meeting in, it takes place, I think in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so you kind of get to see all these people from different places in America and from overseas who come here and talk about it together. Uh, one person at the center of all this, uh, is named Mark Sargent. He is probably the subject that's focused on most in this movie. He's who you see first. And he is a very popular person in the flat earth community. Um, (laughs) He, like a lot of the people who are flat earthers, um, is very delusional. But there's just something about him that makes him a good subject because he's not automatically violent or argumentative with people who are round earth believers. He genuinely wants to recruit people to his cause, but he does so, so amicably. And, Mm -hmm. um, he's a role model for so many of these people in this community too. And so I kind of like that they chose him 
as one of the the main subjects because a lot of the other people they get glimpses of they're they're really abrasive mean people mm-hmm. and and just like the rest of society there are very nice people and very angry mean people in this community um so he's he's very delusional just like many of the people in this movie but nonetheless interesting and it's an hour and a half long like many of us out there i am you know firm believer in round earth and i i love science and it pains me to see people who waste their lives away believing in something that's meaningless and so throughout the documentary i found myself like uh just face palming mm-hmm. feeling so sorry for these people that they're so delusional but it's like something you cannot look away from once you watch for like the first 20 <laughs> minutes. And so I I had to finish it and it was fascinating. And ultimately the documentarians definitely, you know, they're looking at this almost making fun of these people. Like I think that the, the documentarians in also talking to these flat earthers also talked to tons of scientists and, and uh, university professors and they, try to explore not only the psychology of the flat earthers, but those of the people who reject them and how that can actually help stoke their fire a little bit. Mm-hmm. When The more that they get told, no, you're stupid, don't believe in this, why would you waste your life away doing this? The more they get told that, the more they feel empowered by each other. And so it enters this discussion of, no, we shouldn't treat them like they're lesser beings or stupid. We should include them in conversations and be polite and try to recruit them to our side like they are to us. So it, it explores a lot of angles to this whole thing. Um, very fascinating. So it's on Netflix. It's called Behind the Curve. All right. I want to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys ever met a flat earth person? I, well, you know, you go ahead. Well, that's the, that's the thing is the more you watch this, I mean, some of the flat earthers, they're very strange people. You know, they're, they're very quirky. Some of them look like normal people and behave like normal people and talk like normal people. And someone, one of, I think one of the scientists or, you know, one of the round earth believers that they talk to says, yeah, you could, the, uh, the waitress at your restaurant who waits your table, she could be a... Uh, a flat earther or one of your coworkers could be a flat earther. You don't really know. And so it, it kind of made me think like, oh, how many people have I met who are flat earthers and I just didn't know it? Mm-hmm. But I don't know any myself. Yeah. Uh, I probably know more than I realize. I do have um, one of my mom's biological brothers mm-hmm. like posts about flat earth stuff on the <laughs> internet sometimes, but I don't know if he's doing it ironically or not. Mm. <laughs> I've never met him. So I, I can't tell for sure <laughs> if he's doing it ironically because he is kind of like a like a jabs at people to mm. be kind of a dick, just you know <laughs> to stoke people's flames. Sure. Uh, so I don't know if he's doing it ironically or if he is legit a flat earther. Um, so for now, I'm going to say my uncle because I believe that he probably <laughs> is a flat earther. <laughs> yeah, I I've never met one like actually met them, but I was in line for a concert in Denver of all places and these it's like a whole group of them just yeah. like came up to the line and they were live streaming on their phones like a bunch of them interesting and this guy was just kind of like going off like saying like do you believe the earth is round miss miss do you believe the earth is round it's actually flat and then he talked about 
things and it was just kind of like he was acting very strange like i was like he could be in this movie <laughs> honestly mean, yeah I mean, i'm like i wonder if that live stream uh, made it in that movie <laughs> it, it's it's interesting how they use media in the in this movie well in their lives which this movie documents a lot of them have podcasts and they podcast wow. together oh, <laughs> and uh and you know they they have like you know youtube live streams and they appear on each other's live streams so they really heavily depend on each other for that support and to keep all the ways that they um, reach out to their listeners and watchers that makes sense because yeah. I was really weirded out. I was like, "Who? What?" It was like five phones just like streaming us, weird, and like asking us questions. And eventually, security was like, "Get out of here!" <laughs> <laughs> That's probably good. But, yeah. All right. Uh, let's move along. Let's hear about the movie Serenity, not the Serenity that I thought it was when you mentioned it from 2005. but Not based on the Firefly TV series. Right, but a different Serenity. So let's hear about this. So Serenity actually came out uh, like in January or February, so it's really recent. Um, It stars Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, um, and it's basically about this fisherman, this boat captain, who, like, it, like in the beginning, he's, like, obsessed with catching this tuna. Like, that's all he can think about. He's like, I gotta get this tuna. And everyone on this island he lives in um, is like, you're losing your mind. Like, maybe you should take a break or go see a doctor, blah, blah, blah. He's like, nah, I'm gonna go catch this tuna. <laughs> and then from there, it's like, then, like, Anne Hathaway's character shows up, and she's asking him a big favor to basically we find out this isn't a spoiler we find out that um they had been together and they had a child together but she married someone else uh for his money basically he's like this big you know rich dude but he's also a jerk and an and abusive and dangerous and so she goes to him and says i want you to get my husband drunk on your boat take him fishing and uh let him fall over to the sharks and leave him behind and he's very much like nah and she's like i'll pay you 10 million dollars and he's like and then he's like and then he's like yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) because that's how matthew mcconaughey talks um but i think one of the reasons i wanted to watch this was because i think it's different now but i remember when it first came out like um the critic score and the audience score were super opposite of each other, like on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm sure that's not the case. That's not the case anymore. Are they both really high? Yes. For (laughs) sure. Define high. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so I was just like, well, is it good or is it bad? I usually side with the critics Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I'm a critic. But, (laughs) (laughs) but I was like, oh, whatever, let's give it a shot. But it's, it's like this movie is kind of one of those things where it's like it says it's something but it ends up being like there's this big twist and it's supposed to be earth shattering the twist and it's not yeah i was gonna say your use of uh, earth shattering is not convincing no it's not it's not there there were just okay so there's like characters like we there's diane lane who's in it who kind of plays as like the side lady like he he's he kind of hoes himself out to her for money 
<laughs> Diane Lane is just like, oh, thank you. Oh, thanks for bringing my cat back. Blah. Like, just random. Just random. Like, I don't understand the point of it. And then, like, he has this weird connection to his son. Like, they kind of hear each other's thoughts and you don't really know why. And the husband is, like, just, he's just weird. Like, he, like, is, like, clearly an awful person. And you're like, you should just kill this guy. Like, someone should kill this guy. Like, he's really terrible. But it's just, like, the twist they go with. I, first, I saw it coming. Uh, and second, it just wasn't really, it wasn't very original. It was not very well thought out. Like, I don't want to spoil it. Like, there are parts of it I want to talk about, but if you're planning to see this movie, I don't want to spoil it for yeah. you. But it's just, there There are some things I'm like, that's weird and that's kind of gross. And like, did you guys think about that when you made this mm-hmm. twist in it? Like, that's, mm, yeah. I don't know. So when there is the twist that they bake in and they treat as a really awesome twist and it's yeah. not that great because like mm-hmm. you said, you can see it coming. And I definitely saw it too, but I think what's more surprising is the thing that happens at the very end, not the very last, last scene, but, but basically the conclusion is very troubling. I think it's, it's very upsetting and, um, morally and ethically very irresponsible and, and horrifying. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then the movie tries to have the happiest fairy tale ending. Yeah. In in its final moments, it does a complete 180. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does a complete 180, and then it does a complete other 180. Um, and like you said, like with Diane Lane's character, she really ha- that's her only reason to exist is to basically have Matthew McConaughey whore himself out to her, yeah. and she pays him money. And most of the supporting cast has no justifiable reason to be on screen too and Mm -hmm. that's and the storytelling is really muddled Mm -hmm. and there's like a 20 minutes in the middle where matthew mcconaughey has a existential crisis and you're like what is happening in this movie it is confounding it is so weird i think it would have actually been very fascinating to have as a featured film to discuss with like knowing the twists and everything um, it was a very controversial couple days when the movie came out because people mm-hmm. were posting about the ending online and how troubling it was. I think it would have been fascinating to talk about, but it's just not that good of a film. It's just, it's hard to sit through. It's kind of like that. What was that Netflix movie that came out with? It's like Bird something. Bird Box? Bird, it's like Bird Box. Like some, I know some people who were like, Bird Box was an amazing movie. And then there's people like me who's like, I hated Bird Box. I, <laughs> I feel like still this, haven't seen it. <laughs> I hate still that movie. But I feel like this movie is kind of like that. Like there's some okay. people who are like, whoa, like I didn't see it. I hadn't, whoa, like just blew my mind. And I'm just like, I, the, I don't like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you can see it if you want to know what I'm talking about. But you also don't need to. You don't need to. Yeah, this is one of the lowest scored movies I've seen us talk about. Mm-hmm. And for the cast, the, it was surprising show. too, because it's like I know. it's some big name. I am amazed they got these people to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they did. 
I, it, part it, of me is like maybe it's because because Matthew McConaughey did that. What was that space one with like Interstellar? Interstellar. I feel like this was trying to be as groundbreaking as Interstellar, yeah. and it's not. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing. Close. That's the thing is some some of those things probably don't translate from the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you recognize a movie script for being bold. This movie is. It, it swings for the fences, man. I mean, it is bold and ambitious as can be, but it totally drops the ball. Yeah. Do you like watching movies that are horrible unironically? Or <laughs> I- ironically, sorry. Um, ironically? I mean, it's not a hobby of mine. That's more no. Devin's thing. Okay. Because I was um, going to say, if you enjoy that sort of thing, or maybe even every so often, this would probably be a good one to do that. I mean, I'm curious about this ending that you guys are talking about, so I am interested in that sense for that, sure. That curiosity alone might be worth it yeah okay. like if you have a terrible movie tuesday night yes like me and my <laughs> like, friends do anyway, yes. serenity would be great yes. absolutely <laughs> all right yeah. well i am curious about that ending uh we've got one more before we move on into our feature film right one more yes okay uh let's talk about how to train your dragon hit hidden world is that the subtitle yeah okay this is the third full-length hidden or how to train your dragon movie in addition to one or two animated series i'm not sure i don't remember but i never saw the series i didn't either but it's the third movie i also haven't seen the second how to train your dragon either interesting well i so i know people who have watched and rewatched how to train your dragon over and over many times over i have seen how to train your dragon one once and two once uh around the times when they came out so i was a little fuzzy on where we were in the story i had to remind myself about some of the minor characters i did that before seeing how to train your dragon the hidden world and this is the end of a trilogy and so after the events of the previous films Um, There's all these dragon riders. They have this community of dragons and humans, and their community is absolutely overflowing. And their their city, I think, is called Burke. Yes. Yeah. And so they've got they've got this um, utopia going on. There's there's hundreds of dragons flying around in the air. It's actually amazing to see, and they're just flying in all directions, and they must know where they're going because they seem to be somewhat organized. Um, but they have outgrown their land, and so they need to find a new place to go. And Hiccup, who is the main uh, human character in these films, he remembers hearing about this place called the Hidden World, which is like this bastion for dragons. He thinks they need to go there, and so they decide as a community to round everybody up and try to find this place. Uh, But meanwhile, there's some bad people they round up uh, a, a a female dragon who's a white female fury, and they use this dragon to try to lure Toothless, who is Hiccup's main dragon and the alpha of all the dragons in Burke, try to lure uh, Toothless away from the Burkeans so that they can control a bunch of dragons on their own. So, um, yeah, that's basically it. This movie is beautiful. I mean, it's it's uh, they've really perfected this animation the past like ten years, and there's a lot in this movie where um, 
there are a lot of nonverbal sections, um, which I was surprised by. There's a lot where dragons just sort of interact with each other, um, especially Toothless and this white female fury. A lot of the movie takes place during this journey of trying to find the hidden world and sort of being on this quest, uh, but they get trapped on an island in between. They sort of make camp on this island, and um, a lot of the journey happens just with Toothless and Hiccup and this white fury. Uh, and the end really wraps things up and even jumps ahead in time a little bit, but it all happens like all, pretty quickly. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it happened. Uh, there's a lot where the movies just really hang outy, where there's just like people <laughs> just hanging out doing dragon and human stuff. And then all of a sudden it resolves. And, um, but nevertheless, I thought it was, a, it was really fun and uh, a great time. The villains a little cliche and forgettable, mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think that's nearly what matters. I think it's really a, more about the beautiful animation and, and wrapping this story up and seeing where they go in the final like 10, 20 minutes. I think that really sold it for me. Yeah, because I saw this movie too. And I rewatched, I think, the first two actually before we went to see this one because I, I did not watch it a thousand times like mm -hmm. some other people I know have. Yeah. But I wanted like a refresher. Not not that you really need one for this movie, but I it was I was kind of glad I did that because I was able to see kind of the little things they kept consistent. Like they always start the movies with "This is Burke," blah 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 blah, <laughs> and they go in this little intro of Burke, and it's really cute. And they kind of end it similarly too. Like the, it's just um, I think it's a it's a genuinely good trilogy of like some cute animated films and it's one of those kid movies that is also enjoyable for adults like it's not so kitty that you're gonna die watching it of boredom it's like it's cute and the dragons are cool and the music's nice and i like the characters and i got emotional at the end of this yeah. third one because i was like oh my god it's really ending yeah. but they ended it i think kind of perfectly like yeah, I don't know. It was a good movie. It's really satisfying. Yeah, if you're like bummed, I would watch like just have like a How to Train Your Dragon marathon. Yeah, and it might help you. <laughs> <laughs> and dragons are cool. And I like kind of what you said. The villain, like, because in the second one, I think it's kind of interesting because the first one, it's like the villains are us because we right. treat the dragons right because like we, we misunderstand we, them. We fear the unknown, and so yeah. we push them away. Yeah, it's the enemy is is it's an internal yeah. uh, antagonist, and yes. that was that was really interesting. And then the second one is like, oh well, now you know we understand dragons, but now other people are misusing the dragons and they're trying to steal them. And yes. then the third one, it was kind of the same, <laughs> like they basically. Bit wanted it was kind dragons. of like it was kind of like the idea of oh, two but maybe like two actually yeah but, actually yeah. yeah because this guy was like oh well we should just kill all the dragons because they're too dangerous and they shouldn't even exist and so they just took it like one step further yes but i th i thought that was interesting kind of the the process of the enemy mm -hmm. and things like that yeah just satisfying watch yeah mm -hmm. all right well, that wraps up some of the other movies that we've seen recently. This is the part in the show where we move on to our feature film, and that is the new 
Jordan Peele film entitled Us. And uh, if one of you wants to take a crack at trying to sort of explain the plot, there's a lot of um, a lot of symbolism in this movie. There's a lot of things that are left to interpretation, um, sort of behind the surface. Um, but if you want to try and like take a crack at the the plot in its most shallow sense, hmm. You want us to sing a song by I was about- <laughs> Lady Gaga? And, no. uh, can we cooperatively do it? We can try. Okay. Stefan, you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> so Us uh, takes place in a beach town and follows a family of four uh, while they're visiting their summer home. Yes, near Santa Cruz. Yes. Throughout the film, uh, you get to see sort of the past of the main character named Adelaide. Uh, and she grew up in this town. Yeah. It was her yeah. parents, her family's vacation home that was... they go to. So they would go there for yeah. trips. Okay. So yeah. they used to visit there in the summer. And so she's returning to this place. Um, after both of her parents seemingly have passed away. Right. Uh, mother more so recently. Um, and it's about the family trying to have fun while Adelaide is also still coping with the traumatic event yes. that took place. Almost um, like a post-traumatic mm-hmm. disorder. Yes. Or, she yeah, experienced... Post-trauma, yes. Yeah, she experienced a traumatic event uh, in her youth, in in this town, in this location, um, and and some of those aspects of that trauma are popping up again, and um, sort of follows her trying to cope with that while also still allowing her family to enjoy a summer vacation, uh, and they're visited uh, maybe two or three days into their vacation by. Uh, another family of four that turns out to be their doppelgangers, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it gets really dark in in like less than a minute. Yes. Yeah. Well and done. I, that was good. Yeah, that was I'm, good. Uh, I'm handing off the relay bar now. <laughs> it's uh, someone. I think to say any more would be spoilerish, but that that is the synopsis right there. <laughs> there yeah, we go. That's good. I did it. Yeah. So they have to survive and and figure out why these people are here, why they look like them, and how to survive because they're dangerous and they murderous. Are, yes, yes, they're they are scary. They indeed. <laughs> if you saw the trailer, <laughs> I was freaked out watching that trailer. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> so this is Jordan Peele's follow up to Get Out, yeah. which was my personal favorite movie of 2017. Mm-hmm. Out of everything I saw that year, that was my favorite film it really stuck with me i saw that with you Stefan. i yeah, think right i believe so yes and um perfect movie and i i really loved what that movie was saying and how clearly it said it and all the easter eggs and symbolism that movie had and how things tied to each other and the foreshadowing and the allegories that they had it was just such a thoughtfully crafted movie with a central idea that it, you know, stuck to. And 
I really understood the thesis of it all. It had awesome performances. It was thrilling. It wasn't perhaps the scariest movie I've seen, but it really kind of got my heart racing at points. And so um, this movie is kind of noteworthy because it is a follow-up to Get Out. And it is also a a thrilling movie. And Mm -hmm. some people would call this more of a horror film. Mm -hmm. I think this one was more scary than Get Out. Like, Get Out was disturbing, but not so much. There wasn't many, like, jump-scary type, just like, oh, my God, stop moments. Whereas this one, I was so uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, 80% of the time, I was like, Like, I'm one of those people in the theater that, like, I will scream. Like mm-hmm. in a theater. Like I have zero <laughs> chill. And I just the whole time I was like, bitch, run! Like freaking out. And yeah, it it was it was interesting. It was good. <laughs> but it was good. That's what I went there for. Yeah. Um yeah, I so I didn't get out is sometimes considered a comedy as well. Yeah. Which sure, I guess. I mean I think a lot of people were calling it like horror comedy yeah that hybrid genre thing right because it i i agree it's like not really strictly one thing it it has really strong comedic elements right but if someone you know in a position of authority had never called it a comedy i wouldn't call it a comedy exactly it's not in the traditional sense right Um, but i don't think you can call it just one thing right yeah whereas get out and i believe uh officially stated was not going to be in in that same vein like this is straight up just you mean us us yes sorry us is just straight up a horror movie like it's meant to be intense and kind of gruesome and a little bit scary uh and it does all those things and i think um one of the things that really makes it the most scary um just thinking about it at this moment is there's this recurring uh use of scissors Yes. Mm-hmm. In the film. Uh, and scissors are just one of those like household items that you have uh, that you don't always think about the dangers of. But if you wield it in a certain way, it's certainly one of the most dangerous tools that most people interact with. And I think just using something like that um, really drives the terror a little bit, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's if it was like a, like a big machete or something or like a gun you know not everybody has those not everybody uses those every day and those are more meant for destruction whereas scissors are a tool i don't know it's just something i was thinking of just now um that really helps to drive the horror home plus the idea of having an exact copy of yourself in the world somewhere uh is a bit strange too. Yeah. And the idea that actually you bring up the scissors thing, I had not thought of this before, but the idea of, you know, snipping scissors, there's two halves to scissors that, you know, look alike. Oh my you gosh. Know? So maybe that was a very intentional thing. Symbolism. But um, that is like, I mean, since seeing this movie a couple weeks ago, I've been chewing on it and just thinking about what, what choices were very consciously made and, and were they, were they very thoughtfully put together? What choices were just circumstance, happenstance, just because choices? And I think with his films, even though we've only seen two of them now, Jordan Peele really puts a lot of thought behind these choices. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of them reinforce central ideas in his movie. But um, maybe one of the problems I had in, in Us versus Get Out was that I didn't, I couldn't identify the central idea as clearly, and it didn't seem like it was as focused as perhaps Get Out was. If I'm mm-hmm. honest, I still don't, I still don't necessarily know the right. Central I kind of read a little bit about it. He kind of talks about it, but it might be spoilers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is something I think we we could get more into in spoilers. Mm-hmm. But um, it w- if we're just talking about general thoughts, I I really enjoyed uh, how the horror elements built up very steadily over time in the first hour you could really feel the tension just building and building and building um and the whole time i'm not really knowing what the message is you know i kind of knew what the message is from the trailers of get out and the first couple you know you know act or so of get out i knew where that movie was going uh in this one you get all these threads that seem like some of them tie together and some of them don't. And I really struggled for most of the movie. I would get distracted, like trying to think like, what is the, what is the statement here? Mm -hmm. And so that was my main pain point with the movie, but the horror elements very well directed. There's a way that people interact in Jordan Peele's movies. And it's just the way he directs them. It's just, unlike other horror movies like it's not a it's not a bad thing um it's it's like very recognizable to me now just the way people interact it's like his style and i really appreciate that just um the way a family can talk together it feels i mean if i if he releases a third movie i i in it he directs it basically the same way i'll know it's his movie without even um, needing to have someone tell me because it'll just have that feeling of, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It just has that. It's like a you know a je ne sais quoi about it. I don't know. It's like I it's uh I I really appreciate that he's he's been pretty consistent in how well he directs so far. Yeah, I like how I like that he's spending a lot of what we're used to on its head, mm-hmm. especially with the horror genre because. One of the things, because I watched an interview with him and they asked him about this, is how a lot of horror movies, like especially if it's one of those where it's like a bunch of friends and they're one one by one getting killed off, and it it's always the joke like, oh, the the black guy is gonna be the first to go, and he and he said, well, that's not always true, but if he's one of the last like three people, you know, he's not gonna survive at the end, and that's always <laughs> stuck with me. Interesting. And yeah. I was like. That's so true. And so now he's making these films that, especially this one, that just focuses on a black family mm-hmm. who's fighting to survive. And it's like, well, now you can't say that, can you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I also loved how um, he had, because another thing with these movies, I don't, he's just pretty groundbreaking, I feel like, uh, with this stuff. Um, the when it comes to like a family like protect like someone protecting their family it is always always the dude who's like i gotta protect my family it's always the dad and then the mom is just like oh the children (laughs) but in this lupita nyango she's like you're not making the decisions and you don't know what's going on and i'm gonna help us survive and she just like takes over and i'm just like Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know this was a movie I, I thought I needed, but I'm so glad it exists. 
I had a fun time watching it. I especially in a theater, just like Get Out, like that yes. was really fun to see in a theater. Yeah. This one was also super fun to see, just with everyone around you. Everyone's freaking out over the same thing. Yeah, it's. I, it was definitely more kind of like what you said. I was thinking, like, what does this mean? Like, I don't understand. But I think that's what he does so well with the genre is, like, one of the – something that makes horror good horror, I think, is when you – when there's questions being asked and then it just brings new questions. Like, it doesn't – it's not answered right away. It's always mysterious until, like, the end. Or sometimes it's just not even revealed at all, and you kind of have to guess with it in your head. And I thought he did a really good job with that notion yeah. of this movie. Yeah, it, you, um, Lupita Nyong'o, she's kind of pulling double duty because she has mm-hmm. to play um, her real-world self, and she has to play her double um, self. And uh, the rest of the family members, yeah. you know, they're doing that too. And so it's interesting to see the choices that they make on both sides and you know they're they're doing both sides of that equation and um it it is really cool to see not only a um a a female lead but a strong black female lead mm-hmm. you know and he's he's really confident in in that casting and it is an amazing performance on both sides mm-hmm. yeah i agree um i do there, there were a couple of things that I noticed in the film that um, I thought were cool and things that I had problems with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember when we watched it together, because we went to this together, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you went with my double. Oh, you went okay. with my doppelganger. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The untethered. No, yeah. I, was, I was seeing How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Gotcha. Yes. Okay, well. Tell tell your double to uh, shower a little bit better. Yeah, I'll also tell him to stop being a flat earther. <laughs> um, but I remember when we watched Get Out that there was uh, there were a couple. Uh, we talked a little bit about Easter eggs and like little things yes. that um, either we or other people noticed that we read about. And one of them was a scene where uh, what's her name? I don't remember anybody's Adelaide. Name no, in in Get uh, in Get Out. Oh, in Get Out. Uh, Oh, the the girlfriend. The girlfriend, R- Rose. Sure. Yeah, Rose. I think that's her uh, character's name. Yeah. There's there's uh, a scene after um, the the twist in the movie where she's sitting in her bed and eating Fruit Loops separate from her milk, and and we talked oh, about yeah. that Easter egg and how yeah. maybe that was intentional and it means something deep. Yes. I did see an interview later with Jordan Peele that said no, that's just. <laughs> It's just a weird quirk thing to make her weird. <laughs> right. However, I did notice in Us that the kid was eating just Fruit Loops out of a bowl. And, Whoa! And I think that was Dude. just like a little nod to that. Dude, That's that is cool. awesome. I never noticed. Um, that. I didn't totally missed. That. I just I I saw that. I was like, oh, dope. That's crazy. That's a nod to nod to get out. Um, but there's a lot of we we've said the word tethered, and that's what the doppelgangers call themselves. And there's there's rules that they follow and rules that they don't follow, and when each happens, I I don't understand when and why these rules apply. And so, did you mm-hmm. find those rules inconsistent? Yes. Like they were, yes. That was one of my problems too. And and we'll yeah. we'll dig deeper into that in spoilers. But right. I'm just I'm throwing that out there. That's one of my like 
yeah really I'm, strong negative points like it it really took away yeah. from the enjoyment that i yeah. would have otherwise had i'm thinking of one scene in particular where one of those rules comes out and i didn't under i understood what was happening but i didn't understand why those rules applied at that certain moment, i think i know, you know exactly what you're talking and, about and so i want to see if i can kind of glean more understanding like mm-hmm. talking about it with you do mm-hmm. yeah that, I, so. I wouldn't anticipate that because i'm still yeah. <laughs> i'm probably on the same exact page yeah um uh how about the rest of the supporting cast like we talked about lupita um the rest of the family i thought was i mean the rest of the family kind of discovers more things throughout the movie and they evolve over time mm-hmm. certainly oh, yeah. and I, they do an incredible job too i thought um the dad you know we talked about get out really heavy with comedic elements and and um seems like it wouldn't work because thriller horror mixed with comedy doesn't seem like it could work but in jordan peele's hands um it's amazing and even though this is more straight horror they still had those funny moments with the dad and stuff like that i thought those were uh really great like kind of to relieve the tension in certain points Mm -hmm, absolutely um there's i i'm trying to remember what moment this is but i remember one specific moment i think it's when the family is first visited by their doppelgangers there is a prolonged uh, section of horror and then there's a moment of of uh, comedic relief with the dad and one of the kids and it's yeah. like the whole audience like laughed abruptly at that one point because we all just needed it you know <laughs> it, there's there's the, those places those points are very strategically placed um I, I also want to throw out that um, and I don't want to ruin her name, but Shahadi, right? Joseph, whom plays the daughter. Yes. Uh, I thought she did a wonderful job just on her own as playing her own character. But like you said, everybody's playing double duty in this mm-hmm. movie. And I think she plays her creepy doppelganger very well. Yeah. Um, also, and ended up being, in my opinion, the most terrifying character of she the whole movie. She was terrifying. Yeah. Like, like the... Her, the way her hair was all messy and her eyes and her eyebrows, like just the way she even like made some faces. of the makeup like yes. that that she had yeah. to sort of make her skin look a little yeah. Yeah. dull or something. Right. And I like that I like that um it's not like each character their doppelgangers are creepy for the same reason. It's not like mm-hmm. all their hair is like mangled and messed up and so that makes them scary. Like some of them like the the little boy's doppelganger wears a mask mm-hmm. and his face is severely burned, you know, and um, Adelaide's double uh, named Red, you know, her, I mean, there are things I probably can't say, but she has features that the others just don't share with her. And so they like their real world counterparts. They all have their own personalities that make them each creepy. Mm-hmm. Does anyone have anything else to add before we... Uh get into the meat of the spoilers i feel like uh, most of what i want to talk about is in the spoilers <laughs> it's typically the case especially yeah. with movies like this uh there's there's i guess just real quick there's other supporting cast members like elizabeth moss and tim heidecker oh, yeah. which is weird that tim Very, is in this it's so weird but <laughs> i thought they did a great job yeah I and mean, it's and um they they're friends of this family and i we can't really discuss more than that but um, they certainly play a role and uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of, a lot of takeaways, a lot of things that the movie describes, I think 
um, a little bit. Other things it leaves open to interpretation, and I wish the movie just made a stance mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. like Get Out. Like, this is what I'm about. Um, it, it feels very selective and unfocused as, at the same time as far as what it chooses to describe in detail. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I guess Jordan Peele, I watched an interview with him, and he said he kind of wanted to leave it more open-ended because he liked seeing what people take away from it without him explicitly saying, like, Oh yeah, I was trying to do this. <laughs> right, and I, I'm, but... I'm, I'm fine with movies that don't really explain themselves and might be open to interpretation, mm-hmm. um, especially in horror. Like that happens a lot, especially in recent years. We've had movies like It Follows. Yeah, like that's one of my favorite mm-hmm. horror movies, and that's a movie that just weird things happen for no explanation, and you're just in and you go, man, and it's it's intense and thrilling, and uh, but nothing is ever like explicitly described for a while. Um, and this, it just feels like things are explicitly described in some cases and in others they're left open to interpretation. And so when you don't really make a firm choice either way, I, I tend to want more explanations. And then when I don't get those, it's upsetting. That was me too at the end. I was like, yeah. but why does blah, 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 which yes. we can talk about in yeah. spoilers. So this will, yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's all. I think that's all I have to say. Okay. Uh, this is the part of the show where we move into spoilers for the movie Us. Uh, so if you have not seen the movie and you do not want uh, all the twists and turns spoiled, this is the part where you'll click away uh, for the time being. Um, but here it is. We'll see you on the other side. Could it really be that simple? The secret lies with Charlotte. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Where are those keys, Rose? You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Silent Green is people! The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. All right, and we are here to talk about spoilers for us. Uh, let's 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 dig in. Who wants to shout the big reveal? A big reveal. There's a bunch. Adelaide's from the underground, and she's one of the tethered. The or end. is it untethered? Would they... she be tethered or untethered? Oh well, she they comes call from themselves the, tethered. She comes from the tethered okay. world. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So she was tethered when she was a girl. So when Adelaide was a girl and she went into that fun house in Santa Cruz on the pier, and she saw her double and it scared her. And for the rest of the movie, you think that she's suffering from post traumatic stress disorder. What she's actually suffering from is guilt because yes. she switched places. Her tethered version. Uh, switched places with her and became the real above ground Adelaide, right? Mm -hmm. And now is living with this guilt that I have pushed someone down who lived above ground and I am able to succeed and become a dancer and have a family and meet the man of my dreams and have two kids. And uh, now she is after me, the person that I replaced because she is her sole goal now is to replace me. It's it was just like I they hinted that that was kind of the case like throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So I kind of guessed it early, but I didn't think it was actually going to happen. 
and then in the end when they do the, the a lot of explaining about like what the hell yeah. <laughs> their little underground elevator thing is which they don't really explain right totally all the way so the the whole the general idea behind all this is every person in america right every person in america it's not clear that it's every person okay true millions of people in america yes have a tethered version of themselves living underground just like the four creepy visitors that this family gets Mm mm-hmm they live in a very tight, constrained, horrible place where they eat raw rabbits all the time. But they were created by scientists, weren't they? Yes, and they were. Okay. They are the result of a forgotten and left behind science experiment by the government to try to control people's souls. But it went wrong, and they abandoned it. So all these people are the result of that, just left behind. I don't, but I don't, what I thought it was, I don't know if I'm wrong, was scientists discovered that we each can have a person tethered to our soul, quote unquote, but they were using them and like keeping them alive and raising them so we could use them for organs. I thought oh. that's. I thought that's what she said. Like, oh, I they didn't... discovered they could use us for o- organ matches. But I don't then... remember hearing that. Okay, that's. What... I remember. I that thought either. she said that, but I I could be wrong. Maybe I just made that up in my head. <laughs> Siri, why are they tethered? <laughs> um, and like, I guess they, because it kind of shows that scene when. Um, when Adelaide's little and she's at the carnival and it shows both sides of what they were doing and how it's like each person has to do what they're doing, but in a very like primal animalistic way way with where they don't have the setting or the props of our real world. And so they do a very um, uh, minimalistic version of what they, what we do. Yeah. And I don't, really understand that especially when it gets to the point where they do meet and it's kind of all of a sudden like she has free choice in a way yes you know what i mean because like by the way i was seeing it it was like oh they have to do this because that's what their other soul is doing yeah but then it gets to that moment where they see each other like the girl from above and the girl from below and the girl from below is able to be like, bye, bitch, in like right. sweet places. <laughs> that kind of, that confused me because that was so, like so. So I got the sense that, so the, the girl originally from the underground, mm-hmm. the tethered girl who switches places with Adelaide and becomes the new Adelaide, excuse me, the Adelaide that starts on Earth and is switched and goes underground mm-hmm. to live with the other tethered. She becomes, because she is from above, mm-hmm. she knows how above works yeah. and has more insight into what goes on up there and didn't start underground. And so she becomes something of a champion of the underground people because they're like, oh, someone from above, yeah. lead us. They, we need a leader. She has the power because she's not, tethered to uh she's not tethered in the way that the other tethered are 
she has the power to use what the limited knowledge she has of the um, upside, the above ground area to um, give them insight, lead them to lead them in a resistance. And so she sets forward in motion this decades long plan to uh, start an uprising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah. And that's what I, I get bogged down by like quote unquote logistics. If there are any, because I'm like, <laughs> all right. So y'all just like climbed up the escalators that don't go up. That's fine. That's doable. I did that as a kid, but. <laughs> and millions of them did it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just wonder, I kind of, I, I don't know if she ever like says this in like just a sentence or whatever, but just like how they were able to, I guess, quote, untether themselves. Yeah. Like yeah. completely. Right. So a lot of that happens visually. You see. Yeah. Because don't you, she brings, she has that Michael Jackson t-shirt mm-hmm. yeah. that she gets at the fair that her dad wins for her. Right. And she takes, that's one of the things she takes with her down there. And so that's why. Um, I've read some things like that's why they have those gloves because Michael Jackson had his white glove. That's why they have those leather gloves. Okay, Um, that's something I wondered about too. Yeah, and that might be why they have the red jumpsuits too. I don't. I think the red jumpsuits was because of. Oh no no no! It was because of Hands Across America. Yeah. So the first scene, she's she's watching Hands Across America that ad, and um, that's like. We're, we're seeing that because that is what she's taking down. She has this, being such a young girl, she has such a limited view of the world that whatever she is absorbing around that time, that's what she takes down mm-hmm. with her. And so then she being the only person from above, that, that limited knowledge is all they can work with. And that's what they do. But yeah, I agree yeah. with you. How, how does her tethered version, how is she the first one? Yeah. You know, uh-huh. why, why, I guess. Why mm-hmm. is her tethered version the first one to go up into that fun house? Um, was it because she was mimicking exactly what that girl was doing? That would kind of make sense yeah. because all the people down there are mimicking everything. But that would that would lead us to believe that no one would ever venture to, to the fun house. Like not a one person. Yeah. You know? maybe. Well, maybe that plays into not everyone having a tethered version. Maybe, but... I mean, every single person at that pier had, had one. one. It every seems sing- to, anyways. Mm-hmm. Because every, when she's making her way to that fun house, she sees like the, the couple flirting. She sees the guy with the sign. She sees mm-hmm. the people on the roller coaster. All those people have other versions down there. Well, mm-hmm. and they kind of talk about the whole like destiny thing because it's like oh 11 11 and like all these like quote coincidences that mm-hmm. fake adelaide <laughs> is nervous about because she she vents to her husband like oh all these weird things are happening and i feel like you know i'm gonna get what's coming to me and blah 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 and he's like you're fine and then all that stuff happens so maybe yeah. it's also supposed to be like like manifest destiny in a way like they it has to happen at some point which kind of i mean brings like this other i guess supernatural element along with it i guess there has to be a first yeah like you said and so i guess it's plausible that this experiment whenever it was abandoned it could have been shortly before 
she discovers herself. Maybe it's not that long after the experiment is abandoned, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just that that stuff I get hung up on too much. Yeah, and I wish I, I didn't. Too. I wish I didn't, you know. Uh, that's something that distracted me at the yeah. end because it ended and I was like, that was cool, but... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I get bogged down by it. But I did see an interview with Lupita Nyong'o and this was interesting. That creepy voice she does. Yes. The, we are Americans, like that low creepiness. Um, She, I guess she interviewed people who had gone through like severely traumatic events and that is like, an actual psychological thing that a lot of people who went through like deep trauma do is that kind of weird low voice. And she was like, yeah, I mimicked that. And, and I was like, that makes so much sense. Cause she's obviously traumatized cause you're a regular girl and now you're living with underground forever with (laughs) these, (laughs) with these weird people being all, and you have to survive and fit in and, it's just, yeah, it, she put a lot of thought into how she played her characters, both of them, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I, I wondered about that that choice with the voice, because like, mm-hmm. she was a normal girl that knew how to talk before she was yeah. taken, Yeah, so I thought that that seemed weird to right. me. But... I, I kind of, I, it's interesting that she says it comes from a place of trauma, which I, I kind of was coming from a similar place. I just assumed it was that that would be what your voice would sound like if you didn't use your voice box for Mm. 25 Mm -hmm. years or whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, they do those grunts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They do the grunts. Yeah. So they, they're able to vocalize, but she's the only one who uses words. Is that correct? Uh, She was the only one that would know them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So we also discover that this family is obviously not the only one who has, doubles it's millions of people mm-hmm. yeah and so i was expecting it to just be this family of four right but it ends up being this whole big thing this well, whole society when it ended up being the whole like the way it ended with the helicopters and they're all holding hands over the mountains and yes all these people are dying it reminded me of that one movie i saw yeah from netflix invitation the invitation yeah, i was gonna I say that too. i was gonna say the exact same thing <laughs> yeah where there's this just a striking image, also with helicopters. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it, like sirens. I don't know if sirens. There were... Okay, yeah, yeah, but it's just this wide shot of you see like tons of trees, and you in the invitation you see spoilers for the invitation. You see all the <laughs> you see all the lanterns, and at first, same thing. We're like early on in the invitation. You're like, what's the lantern for? And yeah. then you know what the lanterns for, and then you see tons of lanterns, mm-hmm. and it's like, holy shit, this is a huge thing. Same thing. You see a guy standing on the beach with his arms outstretched in a red jumpsuit, and you go, "What's this dude with his arms yeah. outstretched with a red jumpsuit mean?" Then you see thousands of them. It's like holy shit. So, uh, yeah, all that's informed by what she saw as a kid. Real quick, while we're on the guy on the beach in the jumpsuit, yes, um, we see uh, right away when they get to the beach that the guy that used to be holding the sign uh, was killed. Yes. And yeah. the guy that's standing on the mm-hmm. beaches yes. is double. And, and I didn't got... like connect those dots until toward the end okay, yeah, yeah, when yeah. we see his doppelganger in the lineup. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I his realized... hands dripping because he had just he killed had... that yes. guy. Yeah. So I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, also, so that we mention it, he is holding a sign that says Jeremiah 1111. Yes. Uh, so 
real quick, that verse from the Bible is, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. It's kind of eerie how well that fits. Yes. And I know that they wanted to pick that because 1111 is a, is a palindrome or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. It's, you know, two the same number. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very fitting and sort of starts to get at some of the themes that a lot of people read the doubles as representing, too. Um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, there's tons of other like doubles imagery and um, like words that are used too. like you mentioned during our screening, like you just leaned over when they mentioned or no, no, you leaned over when it when the time turned 11, 11 or mm-hmm. something like that. You just pointed it out that that we had seen that time um, in the form of that verse on his card. And then I think on the TV at some point mm-hmm. when there's a game going on, one yep, of the teams the is was, the twins. Yeah. And the score. Oh, I didn't know about that. one of the teams. I'm that. pretty sure. I, uh, I remember that one of the teams is the twins. Huh. Yeah, so that's <laughs> very thoughtful. Um, but uh, so the tethered, um, I guess, represents the um, the the poor and the homeless and the bottom part of society that can't seem to rise up um, to meet the upper class. Okay. So that that's kind of a, a take that a lot of people have mm-hmm. had with this movie and what the tethered represent. Yeah, because when when the those people like break in and and fake Adelaide is like, "Who are you?" They say, "We're Americans." Yes. And you're like, "What do you mean you're Americans?" <laughs> but in the end, you find out like, "Oh, they are Americans." They just live underground and they have zero rights and no one knows about and them. And they look just like us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. It... I think the part that represented that the most for me when I started to connect that dot a little bit was when um, Kitty's double uh, had killed Kitty. Well, almost killed Kitty. Anyways, Kitty's double was in their vacation home and she was sitting in the mirror putting on lipstick yes. and sort of lavishing in in the luxury that she doesn't get to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so that's that's kind of when I connected that dot uh, as far as like okay. what the tethered represent. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, I, I think that is the main idea that this movie's trying to get at. Kind of, you know, kind of like the passive racism of um, progressive white America and get out uh that's kind of what's going on here i just and it certainly makes that that claim mm-hmm. i i just i think it takes a lot to get there and and it's not we even really have to work at it it's pretty incomplete too because no matter how you spin it you're still like you're rooting for the family that is the main character and right. so like if that's your if that's your message is that these people represent you know this lower class why allow us to root Mm -hmm. for the oppressors, you know? I think what's interesting, though, and how he kind of flips, like, who are you supposed to root for is having the switch of the Adelaides, I guess, because you kind of see the whole, like, nature versus nurture thing we've talked about before, where, like, you see hints, like, throughout the movie, like, when she, like, kills someone, and she does those weird, like, animal growls and stuff. And you're yeah. like, well, what's up with her? Why does she like killing people? Like, <laughs> yeah. calm down. I I feel like that was kind of a good way to show, like, 
we could be them. Like if we were raised Absolutely. in those circumstances, like there would be no difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of the big reason. I mean, not just for the twist, but I think that was kind of part of the reason he did that was to show like at the end, you really don't know who's good and who's bad because neither are in a way, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, it's yeah. just, a, it's the, their circumstances. Yes. I, I came away with the idea of we're really not, even though we have so much more than the people below, we really aren't that different from them and they could just as easily be us. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was really conflicted at the end, actually. So I, I obviously was rooting for the family until the, the twist reveal. And then, um, especially with Adelaide, I just really didn't know how to react to that. Like I wanted the best for both of them, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want the person on top to have to suffer, but I don't want the person to suffer um, or person who's suffering to succeed if it means someone has to go below. I want them all to be happy and successful, you know, mm-hmm. and it just can't be that way. While we're on the topic of being conflicted in the very last moments of the film, you see um, the the young boy, Jason's character, uh, you kind of notice that he's picked up on the twist. Like he knows that Adelaide was born in the underground area. Like right. he kind of picked up on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's hiding in that locker and he sees that whole battle between mm-hmm. both of them, her and her doppelganger. Yeah. And so like you kind of get the sense from his body language that he doesn't trust his mother anymore. Yeah. Even though she's still the same person that she always has been to him. Yeah, it's just I, his yeah. origin that, has that swapped. Was, for me, that was a difficult scene to read. I, I wasn't quite sure. And he doesn't he pull the mask down yeah. on his face. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, I kind of thought, is he like hiding from her? Is right. he like not sure who to be around her? So he's going to try to be someone else too or something? Yeah. I, I, I don't, I didn't really get that. All I got was that he's uneasy around her now knowing, or we assume that he knows that his mother was born in the underground. And she gives him a look. It's, um, she kind of like looks at him like she knows that he knows. Right. right? Yeah. And, and so like during that whole exchange, I'm like, so did she swap again? Like, is she now the one that just tried to kill everybody? And I, it it confused I me more than anything. No, I think it's I, still. I think it's like still her. I think it Adelaide. makes it pretty clear who dies. Yeah, like it's. But something I picked up on that is different. I think at first he kind of looked at her like, "Oh yeah, like I know, like I know what's up." And she just kind of looked at him like, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And he kind of, tr- I see him kind of shrug and then pull the mask down. Oh, okay. So I wonder if he, if it, I guess you can read into it a, diff- a bunch of different ways. But the way I read into it was he was just going to ignore it because that's all you can yeah. do. Because at the end of the day, it is the woman mm-hmm. who yeah. raised him. And he probably realizes, well, well and, to think about it more, yeah. I'm just going to, I, I shouldn't bring this up with my family. Mm-hmm. I just need to accept this. And this is honestly what he would want, mm-hmm. right? He would want the woman, his mother who raised him. And Maybe. it also means Maybe. that they're part of like the tethered or whatever her children are, at least like her husband isn't. But since she like bird them with a regular untethered person, mm-hmm. it's like, well, they're kind of part of that. I guess, quote, 
trauma or whatever that exists because it's said that trauma can be passed down generations and that was something I kind of thought about too like with her kids like if they kind of had instances where they showed like traits of that or something sure and her son kind of did yeah but yeah it's interesting the um along with the son what I hinted at earlier with having a problem with like not understanding how the rules worked at some points it was specifically the moment when they go to retrieve their car after the night they're invaded they go to their car and Jason, the young boy, his tethered version has set up a trap. He has set up a trap. So they're in like um, Elizabeth Moth's and Tim Heidecker's car <laughs> and they're trying to retrieve their actual car. And uh, the tethered boy sets up a trap to burn them alive. You know, he has that that line of um, oh, yeah. fuel mm-hmm. going, leading back to their car. And so they all jump out. And the boy, Jason, real world Jason, he knows that his tethered version will mimic his actions. And so he starts to walk backward. And as he walks backward, yeah. his tethered version walks backward into the fire of their flaming car, killing him, mm-hmm. essentially. This also gives the tethered Adelaide um, an opportunity to steal, I think, Jason mm-hmm. away from the family. But um, curious about that, like what why? you thought of yeah. that. Like, Why did the rules turn back on? Right. So mm-hmm. was it that Jason was in the presence of his tethered and his tethered had to follow him? But you also have to assume that Jason's tethered version also is mimicking what he's doing underground. So that doesn't matter yeah. like where he is. So I thought that was weird. It was like, kind of making up um, an addendum to the rules in that moment to make, to give them some convenience. Yeah, I agree. It seemed like a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. Just by the family being in the driveway when they first arrive, when those, when the tethered Mm -hmm. versions first arrive, just by being there, they've already like shown that the rules don't apply to the above ground world. Yes. Because they are not acting the same way as their, quote unquote real world yes, counterparts. They, they move of their own will. Right. Yeah. And so this this whole tethered miming rule set is very inconsistent and doesn't apply sometimes and does at other times. And when those do and don't apply is very unclear to me. Yeah. 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 That was my biggest thing. Yeah. Too. And just by being able to get above ground, like they even break that tether while they're still underground. Right. Otherwise, right. there would be no way for them to get upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of questions. Um, the family, the, so the other family that we focus on, the white family, mm-hmm. uh, I, I honestly was not that scared um, as much as I thought I would be in a lot of this movie. Um, I think I was, it was more maybe thrilling if there's a difference between horror and and thrills. I agree. Yeah, there is. But one genuine moment of of fright I had was when the white family was just just suddenly murdered. Yeah, just minding their own business. And and all of a sudden, it's like you're given no time to adjust. And that's what I thought made that really effective is all of a sudden their, their, their doppelgangers just can't come from around the corner. Orchestrated so well like they're all in hiding and they just all like i think it's is it one of the daughters yeah one of the twins yeah it was it was gruesome and and 
horrific. Yeah, and absolutely. That, that was one moment of horror that um, really stuck with me. Yeah. It's how suddenly that happened. Those twins, like the, the tailored versions of those twins are pretty scary too. Yes, oh, they are. They, yeah. Any <laughs> twins, like ever since The Shining, I'm like, no. <laughs> no yeah. to a twin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know some good twins, but. <laughs> um, and and uh, a wonderful example of taking their real world versions and finding something scary about it. Like the one who does cartwheels, you know, she does oh, all these yeah. flips and stuff. Like, how do you deal with that? If you make someone super nonverbal and stabby and give them cartwheels, oh, like forget yeah, about I'm it. I'm out. Just I'm out. It's like some crazy Mega Man boss. <laughs> Things not with like stabbing extra scare me. Like yes. I can watch a movie with guns and whatever. I'm like, yeah, they got shot. Okay. But stabbing and slicing I can't deal with. I think that's the big reason this whole movie. I was like, no, 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 no. Like the whole time, <laughs> yeah. especially the end when uh, the two Adelaides, oh, like yeah. Red and Adelaide, do that literal like dance with the scissors. Yes. And I'm just like, I can't. And she's getting <laughs> stabbed and it's really hard to see. And it's and it's these wide shots that don't cut. Yeah. It's like, oh, and, and other, that's what I love about Jordan's movies is other movies would do like a really quick close up and show the stab briefly, like mm-hmm. a couple frames and then cut away. And you know what happened. Uh, and you're kind of filling in the rest of the gaps yourself. This, you're seeing it as yeah. if you're there. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's, there's a lot of stabbies. There's the <laughs> moment where uh, Tim Heidecker's tethered version you know, he has a little um, character trait that's carried over from his real world version when he's standing over his real world version's body. He's like, or maybe it's his, maybe it's Elizabeth Moss's character. I forget oh, which yeah. one. Yeah. She's like begging for mercy and yeah. he like reaches a hand down and then does oh, and the then gotcha, yeah. the gotcha yeah. motion. Psych, you know. Mm-hmm. Still a big douchebag. Still yeah. a big douchebag. Like even in his tethered version, lots of really nice character quirks and differences between the tethered versions too. Mm-hmm. I also liked, I didn't like the scissors, but the symbolism of the scissors, how it's like, um, what's like the ancient Greek things? It's like the fates. Yeah. The fates, how they, they cut, cut the thread of they life, cut the thread oh, of life with the yeah. scissors yeah. and you're tethered and you're like cutting the connection. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah there's I'm a, like y'all yeah. thought about it. Those are some, I want, okay, one of the biggest, this is such a dumb thing to think about, but one of the biggest things I wondered, I was like, so who like went upstairs, like to the world to buy gold scissors and yeah. nice jumpsuits all this stuff and from? leather, Where did it come from? like exactly. gloves. I yeah. was like, who made that field trip? Yeah. And, and like, <laughs> yeah. That is what I was wondering about at the end. It just did not make sense. And like, how do they have enough rabbits for down there? Because obviously, I'm I'm guessing that uh, I guess they well, breed. I guess they they breed rabbits fast. multiply. Quick. But what do the rabbits eat if the humans oh. are eating the rabbit or the tethered are eating rabbits? What do the rabbits eat? That's true. Like, you know? I want a full tour of this, like down. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Mall. You can have it, but <laughs> you report back. Let me know. But I'll it might steal be her tethered bunny. version. <laughs> But uh, that's a striking image that the movie kind of opens on too, with the, all the rabbits. And you're like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Some people want to have a reasoning behind why they chose rabbits as the food source, like they represent something. I don't know if I come down firmly on anything there. I, the only yeah. thing I could think of is the the fact that they multiply fast, so it would yeah, make sense exactly. that they would still 
exist. I, when it first started, I took it as a callback to the opening of Get Out, when the song that they're playing on the radio before they kidnap the first guy is that song, Run, Rabbit, Run, Rabbit. Oh my gosh. I just took it as a callback to that. Look at you finding connections in all these movies. As the movie went on, I was like, uh, it's just a coincidence, but- um, but, yeah. Is it though? But like with knowing the Fruit Loop thing, yeah. I mean, I would not be surprised if that was a conscious decision. Oh, too. that was to- that one was definitely a conscious decision, right? But I mean, I think there might be something there with the rabbits still, maybe because yeah, the multiplying fast makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, just as a food source that can you can have a lot of in a short amount of time makes sense. But um, yeah, I maybe it is just a non-conscious decision. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Who could say? So what other than it just being part of the opening sequence is what is the meaning for the hands across America at the end? Is there symbolism here? Why? Yeah. Why? Yes. I, so, yeah. Because yeah, what was that commercial for? It was for it was just for like. So the, the hands across America yeah. movement was an attempt it was a um it was sort of a it's kind of like a peacekeeping awareness yeah. sort of it was an awareness thing. thing and it was supposed to be a fundraiser it was supposed to That's raise awareness right. for um homelessness mm-hmm. and poverty yeah. in america and it was going to be this audacious feat where millions of people would join hands physically from coast to coast and logistically it was an impossible feat and it was met with many problems they actually ended up spending so much trying to make it happen that the amount they raised might not have met it or didn't okay. kind of maybe it maybe they like zeroed out like they actually didn't raise a lot of money um but it was kind of also an empty gesture in a way and you know like we're willing to do this for um for awareness like the world needs to know that these problems exist is that really going to help the situation though? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, mm-hmm. there's still homelessness. There's still hungry people. There's still people who are living in poverty, which is horrible. And you don't just fix that overnight. And I don't, I don't think they tried to fix it overnight, but um, they, their attempts were marginally beneficial at best. Well, even, even a generation later, like I had heard of hands across America and knew what it was. I didn't know that that was its purpose. Okay. So even going off of that, like a generation later, its purpose was lost. So perhaps a lot of people knew what it was, maybe didn't even know the reasoning behind it. I mean, at least our age, you know, Mm -hmm. like people, my parents' age, or even a little bit younger than that were alive when it happened. So it it has not survived as this, um, this wonderful moment we all look back on as a society that's sort of timeless. Yeah. Other, well, other than it's just like a thing that you wouldn't think would be possible. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But as far as like a keep peacekeeping or awareness raising moment, I didn't know what its purpose was beyond just trying to make a human chain across the states. <laughs> right. And so this is this is what mainly reinforces the opinion that the tethered represent the homeless and the mm-hmm. the poverty stricken part of America, that this is not their demonstration that their problems exist. It certainly can be part of that. But when they join hands, it's them saying like, we've won or this is this is our 
this is our world now and we're joining hands and we're not tethered to you we're tethered to each other and we're all we have okay so that's that's kind of where i i seem to kind of agree with that i think okay that that take does that sound is that sound to you that's that sounds fine because i didn't have (laughs) A take on it right. before, and it and it makes sense. I mean, it's it's fitting because that is that probably would have been getting a lot of buzz at that time in the eighties when it was happening. Is it eighties or seventies? I think it was in the mid to late eighties. Okay, so yeah, in the mid to late eighties, that would have been a really interesting hot topic going on, like especially beforehand when people are saying like, "Is this going to happen? This is crazy." So that's why they're. Um, young Adelaide seeing that on TV, that's so impactful to her. That imagery of people in red, you know, that their logo, the the red figures holding hands. She that's what she takes down with her into the underworld. That's yeah. That's what I was. I was unsure of the symbolism but, behind it because you know, it's one of those moments where you know that there's mm-hmm. a meaning behind it. Yeah, I just didn't know what it was. It's also like what what happens next you know i'm curious as far as like yeah yeah, so they did it they killed millions of people yeah clearly not everyone because the family's still alive right there's helicopter pilots exactly so yeah what are those are those helicopter pilots just are they reporting the news i think yeah probably well there's probably some military you know like reconnaissance sort of like scouting what's the situation sort of a thing yeah so but like what now I mean, yeah. Do they? I feel yeah. like they'll. <laughs> I feel like they would put them in an internment camp or something. That's probably true. <laughs> That's Wait, probably exactly what could be happen. the sequel. Uh, another, you know, wrongdoing of our I, country. I don't want a sequel. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think. I think that's gonna. Happen. I think Jordan Peele might have said that there's a possibility, or there's, you know. Well, I guess there could be a sequel. I wonder too, like. Did Tethered ever kill anybody that weren't their above ground versions? Yes. Okay. So you, that's really interesting too. There's there's a moment um where the there's like an amateur reporter. He's just holding his phone. Yes. And is approached by a, a Tethered and is just murdered. Yeah, so there's no indication that they're the same soul or right. same body, oh. whatever. Assuming they're not, I mean, I would assume that they're not. Right. Maybe. Plus, I believe that Tim's, Tim Heidecker's tethered version was the one that eventually killed um, Kitty. Yeah. Oh. Like, he, he's the one right. that actually stuck the fatal blow. Right. So, they're not, the tethered's missions aren't just to kill their respective copies. Mm-hmm. They can... It's like anyone. free will go around and mm-hmm. kill anybody. So, I mean, those guys in the helicopters, they're fucked because they're going to get killed. Adelaide and her family, are they going to keep being pursued? I mean, is this just, are they going to attempt to kill everybody in the world? Who knows? You know, well, I, they clearly stopped caring after they joined hands across America because yes. <laughs> they but, could visibly see like cars of people driving away. You know, our main character's family right. is within eyeshot. I guess like if you're with, what I'm trying to get at though is like where do they where do they stop? When is it when do they say like, Okay, I can join the line now? Is mm-hmm. it when they kill their 
tethered version? I would version? think so, yeah. I guess. But then if they run into other people. If other people just like, happen to be oh, there, gotcha. it's just, it's collateral damage. <laughs> yeah, I think that's But they're not going out of their way to kill more people. Yeah. Right. I think I that's just, the case. I thought about a hundred things like that in like the two weeks since I've seen it. And that's, well, that's, and that's the thing is that just these rules and yeah. goals aren't clear or consistent. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of have to make up your own. It's it's fascinating to talk about, though. Yeah. it's Yeah, I think it's one of those movies you can watch with your friends and then talk hours about all the, mm-hmm. all the bullshit. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm glad I'm talking about it with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I would enjoy it with too many other people. But, right. Um, does anyone have anything else that they'd like to add before we wrap it up? Lupita Nyong'o. I, I've always liked her, but this movie showed me, like, really what she can do like acting yeah wise. she's incredible mm-hmm. she can do anything yeah. she wants mm-hmm. yeah um incredible yeah so, i'm sure if yeah. you if you gave us like another hour we could probably think of a lot of other things like go <laughs> scene by scene but yeah I, I don't think so all right well i think that will about wrap it up for the movie entitled us uh please join us next time when our feature film will be avengers endgame and we'll be joined by Aaron Vlasnik of Alt Night Long, returning uh, for the second part of the final Avengers film. Uh, so we'll see you then. Uh, until next time, everyone, we'll see you at the movies. This episode was recorded in the studios of KZUM 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find out more about KZUM and listen to more episodes of Cinema Roundtable by visiting kzum.org. Our theme music was composed by Joshua Spaulding.